to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Well, this morning, I, I want to speak to you on a subject, overcoming negativity. Overcoming negativity. Well, one of my goals in life is to represent Jesus well. That's my one desire, more, more than uh, health and wealth, and I, I love all that, but you know, I want to represent Jesus well. When I interact with uh, people, I want, I want them to see the Christ in me, not just Daniel Chua, uh, but the Christ in me. And one, and one thing I've learned about Jesus as I read the Gospels is that Jesus has a radiant personality. He's so attractive to children, to, the, you know, to both the rich and the poor, uh, to both uh, the young and the old. Jesus has had a radiant personality. And nothing about Jesus was negative. Everything about Him is positive. But the religious people were put off by how positive He is about uh, the things of God and, and, uh, and about the, the kingdom. And I, I, and I want to speak this morning on, on overcoming, I think, you know, one thing that is so prevalent in the body of Christ and in believers uh, today. Now, let's start with um, this story uh, where Jesus was asking His uh, disciples, who do men say that I, that I am? All right, if you remember the story, Jesus asked His uh, disciples in Caesarea, Philippi, who do men say that I am? And his disciples said, some said that you are John, some said, uh, some said you are Elijah, you are, Eli- uh, you are Isaiah. But Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And listen, I believe when Jesus was asking that question, he wasn't fishing for a compliment. He wasn't uh, asking for his disciples to praise him and say, you are the Messiah, you are so amazing. But he was actually making a crucial point about identity. Let me repeat that. When Jesus was asking the question, who do men say I am? He was making a crucial point about identity. And the reason is, what we think about God is the most important thing in in the world. Our theology would define the way we live our lives. Who we see God would define the way we act and the way we live on this earth. Who you perceive God is for you shapes your personality, your identity and your self-awareness in the kingdom. So Jesus wanted the disciples to understand His true identity because that revelation, listen, is what would shape that relationship. Let's flip that around. I believe the revelation of our identity shapes our relationship with God and with people. Let me repeat that. uh, The revelation of who we are, our kingdom identity, shapes our our relationship with God and with people. Who you, how you see yourself will shape the way you interact with the people around you. Yeah. And it will shape the way you interact with God. How you see yourself. If, if you see yourself as an orphan this morning, you will interact with people through that oftenness, if I could say. If you see yourself as a son this morning, then you will interact with the people around you through your sonship. And likewise with God, if you interact, if you see yourself uh, as an orphan in the kingdom, as, as needy in the kingdom, God to you is just a provider. He's never, uh, he's, he's never a lover. He's never, you know, uh, he's never a king. He's always you know, someone that you just come to God and just ask Him for things. But if you see yourself as a son of God, then everything changes. 
I'll explain that as I go along. See, friends, I believe that our true identity in this world is made up of who we are on earth and how we are known in heaven. Our true identity on the earth is made up of who we are on earth. I believe that's our personality and how we are known in heaven. That's our calling, our mandate. And put that two together, that's who we really are. That's, that's how God has shaped us and how God has called us. And when you know who you are, then you would know how you're supposed to live both within yourself and towards the people around you. Let me repeat that. When you know who you are, then you would know how you're supposed to live both within yourself and towards people around you. I'm, lay, I'm laying a foundation before I dive in uh, to a case study and then I'll explain myself. But I want to just lay this foundation that's so important because... Your personality is who you are on earth. And people are interacting with that personality. And whether you are repulsive or attractive all depends on who you are on the earth. Some people are attractive. Jesus was attractive. People were drawn to Christ. But the Pharisees were repulsive. So it is who and how we are known to men. That's what your personality is. It is a combination of Many things, your, your intellect, your, your emotions, your physical attributes is being shaped by the way you are being brought up, your environment. It can be trained. You, you learn it uh, as it's modeled to you by your parents and it's either positive or negative. And this morning, let me say this. In this church, in this crowd, some of us have got a positive personality. Some of us has got a negative personality. And I, and, and I want to confront negativity this morning because I believe that in the days to come, it is important for us to face problems and challenges with a positive mindset and a positive outlook in life. That living out of a false identity will result always in a negative and a repulsive personality. The way you see yourself, if you see yourself negatively, it will result in a negative and a repulsive personality. But if you see yourself positively, if you, if you have a healthy and if you live out of a true identity that leads to a positive and an attractive personality. Let's, let's break this, this down. All right, A negative personality, I believe, is one that has got a victim mindset, is cautious, is pessimistic, is judgmental, is prejudiced, it's fearful, the fear of man, the fear of being wrong, the fear of looking stupid, the fear of taking risks, always wanting to be safe, finding comfort in the familiar, hasten, prone uh, to deception, either self-deception or deception from the influence of people, it's believing in the worst, living with a sense of uh, unworthiness and overly self-conscious. Now, if that's you, you have a negative personality. It comes from a false identity of who you are. You don't see yourself uh, the way God sees you, but you see yourself in a negative light. Now, friends, if that's you, I want to break that spirit over you this morning. Because that's not the character of Christ. That is not the personality that God has shaped you to be. On the other hand, a healthy and a true identity that leads to a positive and attractive personality is marked by these attributes. It's rooted in a sense of values, you know who God is for you. You know who you are in yourself, in Christ. You're optimistic. You're trusting. You're willing to try. You can be challenged. You're not defensive. You're risk-taking. You are brave. You are honest. You're self-aware. You're open-minded. You're open-hearted. Now, which one, do you want, which one do you want to be? Positive or negative? 
Of course, come on. Do I have a do, do I have an audience in this church this morning? Do you, do you want to be positive or do you want to be negative? Come on, exactly. And so we need to just put our mind to this and say, God, I want to have a shift in the way I see things. And you know, I was a victim of a, of a negative mindset when, when I was growing up. And the reason for that is when you're in an environment long enough, you can see all the negative. So, you know, I became so negative towards people, towards leaders, towards systems, towards structures. And everything that came out from my mouth is, well, how come this person is like, like that? How come this is being done in this way? How, why can't we change this? And I became a bottleneck because of my negative perception of the environment. And likewise, I believe in your workplace, which, which is and could be a, a, a great place to work in, but because you've been there for 15 years, you're in the system and you start to see things that don't line up and you become negative and you don't know how to react, how to respond. And what comes out you know, is a negative spirit that becomes repulsive you know, to the environment. And you miss the mark of God's high call for you in that space. Let's bring it closer to this church. Likewise in the city. You've been here long enough, you will see all the problems. If you are new here, wow, this is a perfect place. Andre is just amazing. He's such a powerful preacher. The worship is wonderful. But after four or five months, you start to see things that are a little bit misaligned, out of place. And how you approach it depends on your spirit. Do you have a, do you have a radiant spirit like Jesus? A positive outlook towards issues and challenges, or are you negative? Now, it is the circumstance and the environment doesn't determine whether you are positive or negative. It depends on you, because it's the same pattern, whether it's at work, in school, at home, in your marriage, parenting. It's 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 your mindset. It's your spirit. When you see problems, is it a problem or is it a challenge? <laughs> Is your glass half full or half empty? Now, these are all, we, I, we've heard all this before, but I just want to address this from a spiritual point of view. And I want to just pray that at the end of this message that we will all make a decision to break the negative spirit over our lives. Amen. Amen. Because in our relationship with, with God, we're, we're learning how to deal with the negative stuff in our personality and how to call ourselves up to a higher place in the spirit. We have got to live above the situation and circumstances. We have to live above the negativity around us. And let this church be a, a super fun and positive place for people to come. Amen? Amen? Doesn't mean that we've got no problems. No, it just means that we have got, we see problems through a different lens. And I want to look at Elijah this morning as a case study. We talked about the prophetic last Sunday. See, one thing about the prophetic ministry, and it comes with the territory, all right, is that as much as you can see the gold in people, you can also see the dirt in people. That's, that comes with the, with the territory. As much as you can discern what God's doing in the atmosphere, you can also discern you know, what, is, what is human, what is missing in the, in the atmosphere. It's, it comes with the territory. It comes with the gift. All right? I met prophets growing up that are negative. Super. All they can see is problem. Do you know that part of the challenges I've gone through, I just found this out. Now, you guys may not know this. In the, last, in the first few years of, of our church plan was because there was a prophet 
that said to a few well-meaning friends and people whom I respect and said that Daniel is an, is an Absalom. It's crazy. I just found this out. And that shaped the, and that's false prophetic ministry because it doesn't add momentum and it doesn't add value to the person. But there are prophetic uh, people and there are churches with prophetic culture like that that love to call pe- uh, people names. That person is an Absalom, that person is a Jezebel, that person is. Can we say that? Come on, that. This is not the environment we want to create. Hit the tag button. This is not the prophetic culture we want to have. The prophetic culture we want to have is a positive, exactly, a positive life-giving prophetic culture. It's part two of, of uh, Constance's message. We want to have a positive, life-giving prophetic culture where we are speaking life to people, where we are calling out the potential in people and killing the negativity over this atmosphere. Amen. Come on, man. So we've got Elijah. He is the prophet. He is the prophet. We name our kids Elijah. Jack just did that. <laughs> and so let's look at his life story. You know, and this was probably the lowest moment of his life. And as I said, he's prophetic. You know, he's being given an assignment. He's being sent by God to confront Ahab. All right? And he's done that. It was great. But then... He became discouraged. Verse, uh, in chapter 19, and let's read from verse 1 to verse 12. You know, I've been talking a lot. I'm trying to get back into my rhythm here. I'm sure you can tell. So let me take a breather. I want to invite Shuen to come and read us these 12 verses. It wasn't planned. But I, but I knew that he can do it a lot better and with a lot of, uh, with, with, with a lot of emotions. During worship, I just had this random thought. Get Shoan to come and read these 12 verses. You have to read it with emotions, alright? We've got Ahab and God here. Uh, no, we've got Elijah and God. Elijah and God. Uh, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even... (laughs) May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you have killed them. Jezebel sounds different. How does she sound? Try. Okay. May the gods strike me and even kill me by this time tomorrow. I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. And he, then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? 
Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Let's give Shuan a big hand. I think he can do Jezebel a little bit better, you know, but it is great. Practice makes perfect. So here's the story. And Elijah was battling with negativity. He was. You know, he thought, I've done my part, but yet, you know, the nation is not changing. Everything is bad. And he became suicidal. He became spiritually depressed. And he says, God, take my life. Now, there are four mistakes here that lead to negativity. And let's have a look at this passage, break it down a little bit, and uh, learn some uh, things from this short passage. There are four mistakes that Elijah did that led to negativity. The first is that he focused on his feelings rather than facts. And friends, by focusing on our feelings rather than facts, it results in us having a negative outlook of life and of situations and circumstances. See, because Elijah was, was feeling scared, he ran away to a place he felt safe. He was feeling scared. See, fear is destructive emotions that causes us to run from our assignment. Fear cripples us. Fear holds us back. Fear uh, hinders us from freely expressing God's love and confuses our mind. And the Bible tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. As a prophetic people, we cannot be led by our feelings. We should always be look at truth, look at what is factual about God. Somebody say, Amen. I mean, what were the facts here? The facts are Elijah just destroyed the prophets of Baal. Now, could, could God not have protected him from an empty threat from Jezebel? I mean, he just confronted a few hundred prophets of Baal. And now there's just one evil queen saying, I'll take your life. And now he was running away for his life. See, fear strikes us and our feelings overtake our faith. You know, in some of the most random situations, you, know, you might be a person of faith. Your, your, your email could be faithman at hotmail.com. That's me, all right? You, you can have like faithman as your icon name. You, you have all these, but you wouldn't know where fear will strike you. There was a time in my life when I was just taking a shower and I saw a little lump on my skin somewhere and the first thought was, oh dear, I've got cancer. I mean, it's crazy. It was, and it's usually after a powerful time of speaking in church. You realize that? It's always in your spiritual high that the devil or even yourself starts sowing a little bit of seed, to, uh, a seed of doubt to just put fear in you. And that's exactly what happened to Elijah. He forgot that God was powerful enough to send fire from heaven to consume an altar that's wet. But instead of focusing on the facts, Elijah let his feelings get the best of him and negativity set in. And I, and I want to say this. This is how it works. 
That one victory doesn't guarantee that you will be the faith man for the next one. That we're always constantly having to choose faith over feelings. Amen? We always have to choose God's truth and promise over problems. Always. Your last assignment may be stellar. You got an A star for that. It doesn't mean that the next one you know, would be a walk through the park, a stroll down the street. No, we've got our challenges and God gave us emotions and it is because of our emotions that we can choose whether to rejoice or to grieve, whether to express what we are thinking or to allow it to guide our thinking. And listen carefully, all right? As a people of faith, as a prophetic people, we cannot allow our emotions to guide our thinking. Our emotions are there to express what we are thinking. I'm happy! Yeah. I'm sad. But it shouldn't allow you know, our emotions, when, when I'm feeling sad, to guide my decision. Right. Are you with me? Come on. Yeah. All right, we, sh- we must focus on truth and not feelings. All right, there will be times when you wake up in the morning and you, you don't feel like going to school. <laughs> Go to school. You, 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 you don't... I'm not talking to my kids here. There'll be times in the morning where you feel like the calling that you had to be a teacher seems so far away and that you've got to face the kids in class and there are a bunch of monkeys. And you wonder, God, who called me in my youth? You didn't call me to teach monkeys. And that's when you've got to choose to see not monkeys in them but you have to to choose to see future politicians and future leaders of companies and you have got to by faith teach them amen there were times when i was growing up before i take the microphone and stand behind the pulpit you know there were all kinds of negative feelings i was the worst preacher i was terrible i started through my sermon i'm not as good as so and so and I still have to take the microphone and I still have got to do it. Why? Because we live by faith, not by sight. Because we choose to believe that God can use the broken things in our lives to show forth His power and glory. Come on, somebody. Amen. God gave emotions to us, but we have to remember why He gave us emotions. All right, it is in our time of trial we choose to rejoice and make a joyful noise come on it is in our times of uh, weakness that we choose to still say god i thank you i mean god give us emotions and we can actually let the emotions be subjected to the things uh, to the spirit of god amen that's why in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 to verse 8, Paul says, Don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. See, we can choose. We can choose to focus on the facts and not feelings. Somebody say amen. Amen. But that was Elijah's mistake. He focused on his feelings. He felt he was afraid. He fled to a safe place. The second thing that he did wrong, the mistake, he compared himself. 
He compared himself. We compare ourselves when we compare ourselves with others. Negativity sets in. See, Elijah was mad about himself for running, and now he began to compare his actions with the actions of other prophets of the past who were brave. See, we compare ourselves because we're unhappy, we're dissatisfied with something about our lives and about ourselves. Elijah was comparing himself with the, with the other prophets and he said, I fall short. I fall short. See, here's the problem. Whenever we compare ourselves, we compare our weaknesses to other people's strengths all the time. And when we look at them, we fall short. And when we fall short, we feel negative. Don't compare yourself. We all made differently. We want to become the best version of ourselves, not, not to become like someone else. Amen? I'm not the most organized person. I shouldn't compare myself to Joy, who's amazing. All right, that's the problem. When, you know, in a marriage, and don't, and, and don't fall into this trap of, of wanting other people to measure up to you. Because we're all gifted differently. Amen? In the prophetic ministry, see, sometimes, and I feel, when I compare myself, I feel, feel, right, that I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. I can prophesy, but not like Sean Bolts. I have won a few souls, but not like Reinhard Bonnke. I care for people, but not like Jack Hayford. <laughs> Wonderful pastor, right? I can teach, but not like Andre Tan, right? or like, uh, who's a great teacher? Bill Johnson. Who I am! I, I, I'm a, a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, and if I compare myself, I wouldn't be standing behind this pulpit and bringing you God's word this morning, because I'll always be like, I can't do it. Yeah. I'm bad at teaching. I'm bad at pastoring. I'm bad at evangelizing. I'm bad at prophesying. I'm bad at apostolizing. <laughs> Are you with me? But when we compare ourselves, we become negative and, we, and, and, and that hinders our progress and that stops us from being effective for the Lord. I can't counsel. Whenever I hang out with Steve Chua, our dear friend, you know Steve, he's such a wonderful counselor. I mean, apart from Jesus, the wonderful counselor is Steve Chua, the wonderful counselor. He's just an amazing counselor. There's so much wisdom that just oozes out from him whenever he's in that zone. And I said, I can't counsel. And whenever I'm feeling low and blues, I feel like, God, what am I good for? Right? So don't compare yourself. We forget that we have strengths and other people have their weaknesses too. What are, what are my strengths? And I think one of my greatest strengths is and I see potential in people, every single one. That's my, that's my strength. I think that's a gift. I thought that's natural, but apparently that's a gift. I can see gold in every single one of you, every single one. And I think one of my strengths is you know, I, I can call out the gold in you and I can try to connect you to other people who can help you flourish in your calling. You know, that's my strength. I'm secure in who I am. I'm do- I, don't mind having, uh, I don't mind building a platform for someone else to thrive in. That's who I am. That's my strength. So don't compare yourself. Amen? Amen. So don't focus on your feelings. Don't compare yourself. The third thing that Elijah did wrongly was he falsely blamed himself. 
He took responsibility for things that he shouldn't take responsibility for. See, Elijah was blaming himself for failing to transform the nation and he took it quite personally. All right, after killing all the prophets, you know, he said, the nation is not transformed. He thought that that victory would result in national revival, but there wasn't national revival. Jezebel was still the queen and now his life's under threat and he said, woe is me! I failed in my assignment. No, he didn't fail. He was just simply being faithful in doing what God has asked him to do. Call down fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice on the altar. Did he do that? Yes. But there was no revival. Whose fault? Not Elijah. Elijah did what was asked of him. At the end of the day, friends, that's all you and I can do. Amen. I went through depression in my ministry once. Once. I've told this story before, but I've not used that strong one. But it was actually a depression. I didn't want to go for service for a few months. And it was after, it was in our youth ministry, it was the second evangelistic rally that we did. You know, we packed out the crowd. My expectation was that that second big day, we call it, would double our youth ministry. All right, so the place was packed out. There was a line to the road and we had a, a thousand people in the hall and we, we saw 400 cards given out. People filled that out. But you know what? The next day, the, the attendance in our service dipped. It didn't grow. I was expecting a revival to come. It was like, yay, God, we have got a full house. We've got 400 decisions. Now we're going to double this youth group and I'll be the biggest youth pastor in Singapore. People will say, well done, Daniel. But nothing. There were all these prayers that have gone into it. We were prophesying. We were saying, God, you promised this and we're praying. But the youth group didn't grow for many months. In fact, everyone was a little bit burnt out from that one big day, if you remember. And I was depressed. I was. For many months, I was like, God, this is not fair. This is, where was the revival? Where was the growth? Where was the, of course, that was the wrong goal. As I look back now, right? It wasn't right to focus all my attention on this one event. But many of us do the same thing. Right? Not just in ministry, but, but at work. Your project that will gain you the promotion. You put your heart and soul into it. You say, wow, this will... God, you promised that I'll be the head, not the tail, and that I'll be a leader of this company. You'll call me into this space, and I'll be doing this, 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 and this is it. This is my break, and you give your heart and soul into this project, only to find out that your teammate gets all the credit, and that you are being sidelined, or being bypassed for the promotion, and you're saying, I thought this is mine! It happens. But Elijah blamed himself for the outcome. I have a problem when I was growing up. It's called a Messiah complex. My wife would come to me and I was trying to save the whole world. All right, I would speak to... Uh, I'll speak to pastors and they will tell me all their problems and I've got 10 steps in how to turn around a youth ministry. And I'll be like saying, this is what you should do. And I'll be texting this, this guy. And then people will be coming and I'll be trying to save the world. I'm trying to save the youth group at this church. I was trying to transform Singapore. Trying, I was doing so many. And I thought to myself, if it's not Daniel Chua, then, then who? <laughs> I have the solution, right? And Joy would come to me and say, your last name is Chua, not Christ. 
You are Daniel Chua, not Daniel Christ. <laughs> and I said, I think you are right, Joy. But even up till, till now, whenever I, I've, I have to stop myself from overcommitting, whenever someone comes to me with a need or with you know, a project or with a debt, I'm Daniel Chua, not Daniel Christ. I don't have the whole world in my hands. He's got the whole world in His hands. Amen? But I'm still susceptible, even now. Whenever I hear something's not being done, I say, okay, I'll step in, I'll do it. But that's not how God, that's not how it's supposed to be. Amen. We don't take responsibility for what only God can do. Someone say, Amen. All right. So once you have been faithful, you have caught out fire to consume the sacrifice on the altar, sleep well. Amen. That is quite a miracle. I've not done that before. There, there was no revival, but I've never caught down fire from the heaven to consume the sacrifice on the altar before. No one has come to my house to see, you know, but people will go to Mount Carmel to see where Elijah caught down fire. Amen. Number four. Elijah exaggerated the problems. All right? He turned a molehill into a mountain. See, in his complaints to God, he grossly exaggerated the problem. If you read the story that Shuen uh, read to us just now, he says, I'm the only one left. And they're trying to kill me too now. Is that true? How many prophets were left? There were 7,000. Alright? But when you think that you are the Messiah, when you think that you have got the solution, when you think that you are the only one who can solve the national crisis, you tend to exaggerate the problem. I'm the only one left. Now, there's a big difference, friends, between 1 and 7,000. In fact, it's 6,999 to be exact. All right? That's the difference. <laughs> but he exaggerated the problem and, he, and that allows negative to, go, to get into his life. And that's what happened to the 10 spies. Numbers chapter 13, 10 spies gave a negative report because they exaggerated the problem. They, when they went in, they saw the big fruit, but they also saw big people. And they said they're like giants. Of course, if I am six, if I'm five feet and I stand next to Yao Ming, who's seven, I look, I look like, like a dwarf, it's like a giant. All right? But, they, but these ten spies went beyond that and said, and we're like grasshoppers in their sight. Now, I, I always find this story very amusing. You've heard this before, but... Track with me, right? Did the 10 spies have an interview with the giant? Did the 10 spies go to Mr. Giant and say, Mr. Giant, you're like a giant. Who are, how do you see me? And the giant said, you're a grasshopper. Did that happen? No. The, they didn't have an interview with the giants and the giant didn't, didn't say, you guys are like grasshoppers. No, but because they, they had a negative outlook, because they brought negative report, they, they were just negative people in their mind were like grasshoppers in their sights. The giants didn't say that. It was the way they saw themselves. Amen. And even if you are grasshoppers in their sight, it doesn't matter. Why? Because God has already given them the title deed, the land. You should just go in and take the land. It's not how the giants perceive you. It's not how you see yourself. It's all about the promise. 
It's, God, it's all about God has given you the title deed to that territory and all you need to do is just go in and say, this land belongs to me. God said it. I may be small, you may be big, but my God's bigger. And even if we are like grasshoppers, there's nothing to fear. All right, so but when we exaggerate the problems, we allow negativity to set in. So what's, the, so what's the, the remedy? How do we confront this this morning? Let's look at what God did to Elijah. The first thing, verses 5 to 7, you, re, you realize that Elijah slept. <laughs> right? He slept, then he got up, he ate, he drank, and then went back to sleep. Then he got up, he ate some more. What's the point? Take care of your physical needs. You know, I was just asking my wife, and I said, when, when, in, our, in our marriage, as we relate to one another, when are you the most negative? And she said, whenever you are busy, when you don't sleep much, you are negative. And it's true. It's true. Take care of your physical needs. Negativity comes about if you are tired and depleted. So in order to put Elijah back on track, God took care of Elijah's physical needs. He says, sleep. When he woke up, there was food. He ate, slept again, and he ate. Some of you in this church need to go on a break. It's not a prophetic word. It's good advice. It's wisdom. And you will go on a break when you realize that you are not Daniel Christ, the world doesn't you know, fall when you are not there. <laughs> Amen. Go on a break. Take a loved one. Go on a break. Seek the Lord together and say, you know what? This is food for the next chapter of my life. Amen. Somebody say, Amen. That's good advice. Amen. That's what we all need. Rest and relaxation will bring us back on track. That's how we set that in your life. Go on a break. Whether it's go to Johor, eat all you want, sleep. I mean, seriously. Serious. Do I have a witness? Who needs to go on a break? Come on, can I, can I, can I see your hands? Come on. The rest of you, liars. All right. Adrian is here. He can do some inner healing to you later, but it's fine. You know, I really like how uh, Heidi Baker, right, led her life. You know, this is what she said to me and to people, I think, in her, ser- her sermon. She said, well, you run, you rest, and you re- release. You run, you rest, you release. See, the problem with a lot of us is we don't know how to release we're always taking on more and more things. More and more things. Let it go. Let it go. All right, the second thing you need to do this morning is get a, get a renewed, right perspective of God. And that's what Elijah needed. He needed a fresh awareness of God. See, some of us have been doing what we're doing for a long time. You know, the last month has been amazing. I know I wasn't in church, and it's not because, you know, but it was just amazing. Because as I meet different 
people, they reset my, my, my nostril. And as I interact with different people, all kinds of people in Christendom, all right, the big, the famous, uh, the old, the young, uh, big church pastor, no church pastor. I mean, and as I interact with them, I realize that, you know, what I, what I, I realize that this is who I want to be. All right, I want to be an intimate lover of God who's mature, who's founded on, you know, on truth and not... And, and I said, God, that's my true north. That's, that, that's my true north. And, and, and God hits the reset button and I, have, and I have a renewed perspective of God. That success doesn't look like just famous, big church... No, success looks like God knows you, you know God. And you have a renewed perspective of God. That's what Elijah needed. Isn't that that amazing? It's it's just interesting that, you know, he's called a prophet of fire. In the story, right? Prophet of fire. And when God, and when he was all eaten, slept, he was refreshed, God says, what are you doing here? Come out, stand, in, stand you know, on the top of the mountain. So there he was on top of the mountain, and God let the wind pass him by, God let the fire pass him by. And Elijah the prophet was used to all these dramatics, right? He was used to it. I'm, I mean, he called down fire from heaven. And yet, God wasn't in, in the fire. God wasn't in the wind. He was trying to look for God in the familiar. But God wasn't there. He he was trying to look for God in the glamorous and the spectacular. And see, many of us are so used to that growing up, right? We're so used to it. Especially when you've been to like amazing dramatic events where people are falling all over. You've got people waving their hands and and you think that God is in the drama of us flying. Woo! And getting powerful prophetic words from Sean Bowles calling your birth dates and your name. And, and these are all great. We are used to all these dramatics. But what I'm trying to tell you is this. After all that, God is more than that. That's, and that's what God did to me in the last one month. I love it. The last one week was amazing, right? Because I couldn't sleep, right? Jet lag. So I went for my walk and I had my talk with my father. I was just saying, God, how amazing you are. And I said, God, what do you want to say to me? And God says, uh, remember, Daniel, that I'm always your father, right? And I said, God, oh, that's so precious. And he says, what else? And he says, you are no longer an orphan. I said, oh, you know, you just have to allow God to just reset your perspective, It's amazing. It's amazing. And then all of a sudden, I start to see the world differently. I see people with a more positive light. I see strengths in people. I see see potential in the church. I see goodness in Singapore. I start to have a positive outlook of of things. And and your press shift is no longer, help God, but... declaring purpose and destiny, reminding God of His prophetic promises over our nation, over this church, over you guys. I mean, everything changed when you allow God to reset your spiritual, 
direction. You're no, you're no longer negative, you're now positive. Amen. My last point. My last point is, as I said, Elijah, Elijah saw God in the ordinary. Not in the dramatics, not in, not, not in the spectacular, but in the ordinary. And I pray. See, the way to overcome the negative spirits is to see God in the everyday and in the ordinary. Do I, do I have my last point? No? Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's my... That was the second... I've got... Yes. <laughs> yes. I resend the slide, but it's fine because I was late. But we have to see God in the ordinary and fast from negativity. See, when you wake up in the morning, heading to work, all right, the MRT breaks down. You can either complain and say, oh, SMRT like that. Uh, or you can say, okay, God, I've got 15 more minutes to spend with you. Why? Be- because, you know, I can go to work and tell my boss, MRT spoil, and let them go on this tangent of like, ah, yeah, I get it, MRT spoil. But extra 15 minutes where you can listen to Andre's message on honor, re-listen to it one more time and say, God, I want to be a man of honor. All right, you can listen to another Hillsong worship or battle music, depending on your style, or Hosanna Integrity. <laughs> my world. Hey, boy, everything changed. And what's my point? It's all in your perspective. When we are blinded by negativity, all we can see is the, is the, is the bad and the ugly. We don't see the good. Amen. We can choose to fast from negativity. Fast by making a conscious decision to align our belief system, to align our mind, to align our confession to what is godly, to Philippians chapter 4 verse 8, to what is noble. We can go on to, to, to the train and, and strike up a conversation with, with like disgruntled commuters that are pulling a long face. Yeah. Why can't you be the peacemaker? Step in and say, hey, what a, what a lovely day. They'll think that you are crazy. <laughs> but aren't we supposed to be different? Amen? Amen? That our difference can actually be attractive? Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Amen. If you're if exactly like the rest of the world, there's no difference. You are complaining, you are pointing finger... What's the difference? But when we are different from the way we respond to a crisis, like MRT breaking down, we will shine like stars in a dark and perverse generation. (laughs) It's true. That's as bad as it can get in Singapore. Flooding in the tunnel. Never happened before. Try hurricane in the Bahamas and you will uh, be a different story, I tell you. I mean, everything. But the, what's the worst thing that can happen to you? Fast from negativity. I think it was about five years ago, and I'll close with this. Can I have uh, Chris on stage? 
it was five years ago that you know I called the church to a negativity fast, right? If you were around, and that was fun, all right. And I think it's good for us to do it one more time. Let's fast from it. What the fast is not is not denying that problems exist because there are problems, a lot of problems all around us. It's not being critical of others who may be struggling. It's not irresponsible towards things that needs to be done. There are things that need to be done. Right? We need to get the maintenance right in SMRT. All right? We need to buff up a few things in our church. We need to make some changes in our household. We, there are things that need to be done. So it's not, it's not turning a, a blind eye to what needs to be done. It's not. But what seeing God in the ordinary and fasting from a negativity is, is, is determined to focus more on God's promises than on problems. It is learning to speak with hope even in the toughest season and with the toughest issues. It is becoming solution-focused rather than problem-focused. It is refraining from reacting and giving voice to pessimism Criticism of others, self-criticism and other forms of belief and, un- and unbelief. It is replacing negative words and thoughts with positive words and thoughts based on God's Word. And that's what we should do. Right? And your work needs it. All right? For you to be attractive as an ambassador of Christ, whether it's in the school that you are teaching in, in the government sector, as a minister of the gospel, Right, what makes you attractive is not when you're like someone else or when everyone is complaining and you are just joining in, but you have a different spirit. A different spirit. And you have a voice. You must speak up. You know, I say, how long do we want to complain about this? Do something, right? Amen. So what's my point this morning? You can choose to live positive in a negative world. And it's not just positive thinking. It's being radiant in spirit. That's my goal. I want this church to be radiant. I want you to be radiant. I want you to shine. All right? And if you're negative all the time, it's not shining, it's darkness. Right? But when you are radiant in spirit, when you carry joy and peace wherever you go, when you walk into your workspace and, and what is on your lips is not problems but solutions. Is, is, is you know, a declaration of God's purpose and intent. I tell you, friends, you become an attractive ambassador for the kingdom of God. That's what being prophetic is. Right? You add momentum. You add value. Let's all stand. Well, thanks again for sit, sitting through a very positive message on negativity. <laughs> well, let's not close our eyes just by a show of hands alright let's be honest be, before God this morning so we all have our we all have our in- inclination and some of us because of the way we grow up and the way we are being parented you know we slant towards the negative side and if that's you this morning I want you to, to know that Alright, though you have got a critical mind which is important, you don't have to have a negative spirit. You hear me? Though you can have a critical mind which is helpful in solving problems, you don't have to have a critical spirit. 
you can have a radiant positive spirit and and if that's you if you know in your heart of hearts that you have a critical spirit that you have a, a negative spirit i want you where you are between you and god but let me pray for you all right just slip your hands up all right if that's you all right i've got hands going up thank you very much thank you very much all right and once you've done that put, put your hands down you, you can still raise your hand and in the next few moments but i i want to pray all right i want to ask god to fill you with all hope and peace. That's what Paul prayed for, that He will come and fill you with all hope and peace. Thank you, Lord. Alright, so Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we thank you that you have called us to shine as light in a dark and perverse world. Lord, the world around us, God, negative. The news, negative. All kinds of fake news. Lord, all kinds of like exaggeration all around us about people, about you know, even systems and governments. Father, we choose to reject, God, what is negative. And Father, we choose to see what is true. And Father, we want to be a positive answer, Lord, to what the world needs. So Father, I break every negative mindset. Father, I come against the negative spirit. Father, I pray for a fresh baptism of hope. In the name of Jesus, come Holy Spirit. Amen. Come Holy Spirit. Put your, put your hands on your heart, church. And say, God, I want to be like you, Jesus. I want to be radiant in spirit. I want to be attractive. I want to be attractive like Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, Holy Spirit, we pray that you will make this message come alive. Father, I pray that these thoughts and these revelations, these seeds of truth will be planted, God, on, on good soil. Father, I pray, let this truth explode in, in our spirit, man, this morning, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Who you are is seen in your first response. In your first response. If your first response to a problem is, oh, that person is terrible. It's, it's, you know, and it's, it's criticism. I tell you, friends, that's negative spirit. If your first response is prayer and say, God, come through in Jesus' name. If, if your first response is, God, if I can be part of the solution, what will I do? Now, that's a positive spirit. So, Father, we pray that you will use this church, God, Lord, to bring solutions. Bring solutions, God, to issues, to problems. Thank you, Lord. Some of you have been placed in position to bring solutions to difficult problems in your workplace, in this season of your life. And I, and I, and I declare God's purpose and God's will over you in the name of Jesus, that you will not join in the criticizing club, but that you will be part of God's army of hope and peace and wisdom in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. I, I'm declaring that over some of you that there are policies that you are working on that will bring about a creative solution. And I pray for you right now that your policies and your proposal would come from a place of hope, a place of expectation. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.